Progressive presents The Sounds of the Old World. The year is 2019, and someone is waiting for the previews to start in a movie theater. Hey, you want anything? Popcorn? Soda? No, nothing? This has been The Sounds of the Old World. Brought to you by Progressive, where drivers can still switch and save like it's 2019. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Leslie Marshall Show. The only true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. I'm Leslie Marshall, and welcome or welcome back, only true democracy and talk. Thank you for listening on radio, on stream, on podcast, and for watching us on uh, Twitter's Periscope, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and soon to be, I think, LinkedIn Live as well. Um, as I said, I'm your host, Leslie Marshall. How you doing? TGIF. It's been a long week uh, for many of us. Uh, but joining us is somebody who will make this our fly because you'll learn so much. You'll be entertained. Somebody I like personally and professionally. Great to have him back on the show. And that's Scott Paul. Now, Scott, if you don't know him and if you just tuned in or you've been listening and you know watching the show before, you should know. And if not, you're new. You need to know. He is president of the Alliance of American Manufacturing for American Manufacturing, the AAM. They're a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. And for over a decades, Scott and the AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top of mind issue for all of us, we the people, the voters, and our national leaders. And they've done it through effective strategy, uh, advocacy, innovative research, and certainly a savvy PR relations strategic campaign. Obviously, they're succeeding because manufacturing is a top of mind issue and not just for the many of us who have people in our families who work in the field of manufacturing. Welcome back to the program, Scott Paul. Hey, Scott, good to have you with us on this Friday. Welcome back. Yeah, Leslie, happy Friday. It's great to be here. And it's great uh, to have you uh, with us. Um, We know uh, that President Biden has spoken with the leader of China. We know today that we re-entered the uh, Paris uh, Climate Accord. Um, And uh, we know there are going to be some talks uh, with Iran. So there's a lot going on with this president and this White House, some based on promises and some just based on necessity or trying to clean up if there were some messes from the former administration. Um, And whether it is privately or publicly, which is so refreshing in this administration, they're usually the same now, what they say in private, what they say in public, a little different the last four years. Uh, But uh, the president, President Biden and his advisors, um, they have signaled that there are some dramatic interventions um, that they plan on uh, to revive U.S. manufacturing. And of course, we need to come to someone like you, Scott, to say, Will they actually happen? So first of all, talk to us about some of these dramatic interventions that the Biden administration and his advisors have signaled they want to implement to revive U.S. manufacturing, and if you think they'll actually happen, and then see, will they be successful if implemented? 
Absolutely, and thank you, Leslie. Let, let me set up the question first. Why should they even do this, right? Why does manufacturing even matter? It's a smaller percentage of our economy than it used to be. Americans don't think so much about that, except for when you need it, like Texans in the, you know, in the current uh, w winter storm. But so the why, first of all, I mean, it's a generator of good middle class jobs. There are certain types of manufacturing that are vital to our national and our economic security. Um, and we also know, and I think this is the disturbing thing, that out of every recession that our country has suffered, we've ended that with fewer manufacturing jobs and we haven't recovered th those jobs. And so I think Biden realizes you know, ahead of them is a huge challenge. We lost more than a million manufacturing jobs uh, in the wake of the pandemic, um, and we're still about 580,000 jobs short there. Meanwhile, you referenced the climate agreement. The world is moving, the Paris Agreement, the world is moving forward to address climate change. Our automotive industry is going to undergo massive disruptions in the years ahead, uh, converting to electric vehicles. You think about autonomous vehicles uh, and just not only what that means for consumers, but also what that means for the production system and what I think the Biden administration has discovered is that you need a strategic approach to do this well. If you simply let like the invisible hand of the market dictate it, it's going to mean we're going to get a lot of cheap products from China um, and that we'll be simply trading kind of foreign oil for made in China solar panels or made in China automobiles, uh, which may not be such a great trade off for American jobs. And so I think that Biden's team understand that we have to have a strategy to do this. And there's a couple parts of that strategy. First is you need massive investments. They propose those uh, in infrastructure, in innovation, in made in America purchases, in an all electric American made government vehicle fleet um, and in clean, clean technology. Uh, second, you need the right rules. You need to make sure that we are making it here, uh, as I referenced, that it's going to be a made in America reference. And then you also need to invest in R&D uh, and also in our workforce so that we have a skilled workforce that's capable of converting to this new economy uh, and also that we're on the cutting edge of research and technology. And for instance, you know, it, it's gone under the radar a bit, but a lot of there are a lot of automotive plants that have shut down or stopped because of a shortage of semiconductors. And you know, semiconductors are, are key. You don't think of them as being vital to automobiles, but you, then you turn on your automobile and you see the dashboard light up and you're like, oh my gosh, it's like a computer. You need lots of semiconductors to run automobiles these days, and we simply don't make enough of them. Uh, th that shifted offshore. So Biden and his team know we need purpose, we need intent, we need investment, uh, we need the right rules, uh, and then we can regrow manufacturing and not in some nostalgic way that Donald Trump suggested, like going back to the past, like there'd suddenly be a rebirth. And I know this because you spent a lot of time in Buffalo and uh -huh. I'm from the Midwest. It's not going to be like that back in the 1950s or 60s, uh, but there can be a new American manufacturing that can be very clean, that can be cutting edge and that can employ thousands and thousands of workers alongside those robots and all that automation making really cool stuff that we're all going to depend on over the co coming decades. And and you know what, not just cold weather, but I've seen, I lived in Buffalo, I'm from Boston, I've lived in Chicago, and I also spent 
a couple of months living in Cleveland, Ohio. It was just a temporary gig where I was so I was basically the stopgap to the non-compete in that town for just about radio host going from one station to the competitor station. Uh, I was uh, in between jobs, so it was you know great extra money, great people, great city. But I've seen firsthand living very temporarily and more permanently in two cities what happens when you turn your back on manufacturing. We saw what happened if you add Pittsburgh to that specifically with steel. Speaking of steel, it's interesting that you mentioned automobiles. And the reason I say that is when people are trying to look at an economic roadmap uh, to this presidency, the Biden presidency, um, there are some hints. There was something that was written in 2018. It was titled Taking the High Road Strategies for a Fair EV Future. And it was written by the United Automobile Workers Union, a 40-page research paper. It wasn't propaganda. You know, it wasn't pushing for what they want. It was actual research showing, you know, if A, then B, uh, if we do this. And their argument was that even in the face of foreign competition, that our automobile industry here in the United States could continue to provide well-paying manufacturing jobs, but only if the government invested huge sums of money into electric vehicles. Now, we as humans don't like change, right? It makes us uncomfortable. But this is the future. I mean, you know, so let's speak to that. Are we far behind the world with regard to electric vehicles? And, you know, we wouldn't just have, people always think we're going to have job loss if we make this change, right? Um, And I know Germany is fighting it, right? Because their cars, you know, BMW and the others, uh, you know, they're very reliant on gas, right? So gasoline. So in the United States, with making that change, talk to us about how it's a, a job creator rather than a job destroyer and and how, you know, we stand in, in terms of electric vehicles and, you know, moving forward compared to the rest of the world. So, so Leslie, we're behind in both supply and demand. Uh, Norway, as the Will Ferrell Super Bowl ad for General Motors pointed out, 70% of Norway's uh, automo- automobiles on the road are electric, which is really remarkable wow. to think about it. We, wow. we have just 1% or 2% here. And when it comes to production, we make a very small percentage of the types of batteries that go into electric vehicles. Uh, 70% of the world's production of those types of batteries occurs in China. Uh, and so we're playing catch up and there are massive subsidies that the Chinese government, that other governments are giving forward to this. So when people say, oh, it's the government in beating in the cap, it's like, look, we can pretend like we're reading from an economics textbook and we can look out in the real world and see what else is going on. And uh, I think we should look at the real world and say we need to invest because it will mean a brighter future uh, for auto workers and for everybody in the automotive supply chain. Uh, and that includes, you know, today. Communities like you mentioned, like Cleveland and Buffalo and my home state of Indiana, it also means Texas and Alabama and lots of other states as well. There's a lot of communities that depend on these jobs. Yeah. And speaking of Indiana, you pass through Gary, Indiana, another example of what can happen when you pull manufacturing out and ship jobs overseas. Gary, Indiana is a perfect example of that. And then what happens to the community you, you know, you get high up there on the uh, murder capital list, sadly, right? Um, we're going to take a break. We're going to be back with Scott Paul, president of the AAM, after this. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com.
And we're back. Welcome back. I'm Leslie Marshall. He, our guest is Scott Paul. He's president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. I forgot to mention before the break, go to the way we were pressed for time. So my bad. Uh, go to their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Also on Twitter, follow the AAM at Keep It Made in USA. We need to and we need to buy American. And also follow Scott at Scott Paul. AAM. By the way, that AmericanManufacturing.org website always has, whether it's Christmas, Valentine's Day, and just you know ongoing American-made products that are great things for you to buy for you and your family and your home, or also as gifts. Uh, it, it, I find it invaluable. Uh, you know, uh, you know whether it's Mother's Day or Valentine's Day or Christmas. Um, or other holidays, uh, check it out, AmericanManufacturing.org. Um, Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Um, we had talked about how the Biden team wants to transform the economy, um, how they really want to transform the uh, the economy. And, uh, you know, if you have anything left to say on that before we move to the next topic, because um, once again, infrastructure is something that bipartisan, has bipartisan support and agreement for needing badly to be repaired needing badly to have more American, more products made in America, you know, badly needing Americans to buy more things made here and need to have more options of more things made here. Um, you know, if we're talking about automobiles, for example, um, but, but at the same time, always seems to be that cog that's stuck in the wheel, whether it's an Obama administration or a Trump administration, do you think we're going to see that same, uh, you know, cog in the wheel in the Biden administration? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm cautiously optimistic at this point. Um, and I, I will say that for a couple of reasons. I mean, we, we were talking before the break about why why this is important from a national economic perspective. Uh, I, I think uh, the administration understands the geopolitical importance of this as well. And, you know, Trump had, had his siren songs directed at the working class, and a lot of them were built on resentment and lies and fear of the other. Um, uh, but there was a, a chord struck because a lot of these communities rightfully felt like they had been left behind by by both parties. Okay, and so I think th- that's another piece that I think Biden has has learned from and, and understands and doesn't want to see that ground again. So I look for for very very working class centric policies coming from the administration, uh, w- which tees up this conversation about infrastructure and these other investments. And I, I'm much more optimistic about progress on rebuilding America, like our, our everything from our power grid, which has been under examination for the past week, to our roads and our bridges, our dams, our ports, our broadband, uh, which I think you know we've also we, we've we've all suffered uh, deficiencies in that over, yeah. over the last year as we've been as more and more people have been learning and working remotely just what kind of an upgrade we need as a country. And unfortunately, all of this costs money. It really does. And these are resources that will have return for all of us for a generation to come and will create jobs in this country. And I'm optimistic about infrastructure in particular because, you know, there are no uh, red or blue bridges or Democratic or Republican roads. Everybody drives on them. Everybody crosses them. And uh, and I've heard Joe Manchin, for instance, who's been skeptical about some of the spending, say he's willing to spend trillions on, on infrastructure because he realizes how valuable it is. It's also one of those issues, Leslie, where the the interests in Washington tend to align where you have, you know, Biden was talking to labor leaders at the at the White House just this week. Uh, Chamber of Commerce also supports 
uh, a big infrastructure spending package. Uh, and so I'm hopeful that even, you know, you know, that you can even get 60 Senate votes for a, a big infrastructure package as we look ahead. The needs are evident uh, if, if you just look around us. Uh, and it's always been, how do you pay for it? I think that's less of a concern now because borrowing costs are low. And I think economists have kind of settled on and are more comfortable with deficit spending, particularly if there's going to be a return in the future. And there certainly will be uh, once you establish better schools, better broadband, better roads, b- better electrical grid, all of that. Uh, and and so I, the only thing that, that was stopping us before was this fear about borrowing and then having the political will from the White House. And Donald Trump would have these infamous infrastructure weeks where they would step on the message before they even got started and nothing ever happened. Uh, And so I'm much more optimistic that with this White House, uh, with uh, the Senate, with the House, uh, and even among many Republicans, that there will be a will and a way to do it this time. Awesome. You had talked about money. So let's talk about money. Uh, infrastructure is going to cost a lot of money. And uh, obviously, any administration talks about money and what they're going to do and how things are going to be uh, spent. Um, there is a fight for $15 an hour that has been going on prior to Joe Biden being elected. And even though it too, took you know a few weeks, he did get on the phone uh, with his Chinese uh, counterpart. Uh, they had a two-hour conversation. Allegedly, the president challenged uh, President Xi on China's human rights record, its military aggression, specifically in Hong Kong, human rights record, specifically concentration camps against uh, Muslim Uyghurs, uh, and its coercive and unfair economic practices. At the same time, it is a balancing act with China. Every presidency goes through this. At the same time, holding out hope that the two countries could work together because they, we do have to fight this pandemic. This is an international problem. And we do have to fight climate change. Both are global uh, problems and global issues. So many things that I want to ask uh, about this. Um, first of all, were you disappointed in the time that it took Biden? I wasn't, and let me tell you why. I thought Joe Biden was playing his hand mm-hmm. in the sense of like, you can wait. Mm-hmm. I'll get to you. Yeah, My people are more important than you are right now. You know, I thought, you know, if there was some signaling of that, but uh, do you wish you'd gotten on the, the phone quicker? You and I talk about getting tough on China, whether it's with currency manipulation or regarding human rights violations. Um, There is talk of boycotting uh, the Olympics that could have ramifications, uh, not just for manufacturing, but obviously for prices with, uh, you know, tariffs and uh, retaliation from China. So much to talk about with China. So first, um, were were you upset with the time frame and what you heard came out of that conversation and how tough should the Biden administration be with regard to China? Because if you're a little tough or a lot tough or somewhere in, in between, we may have some suffering. Yeah, I, I think the Biden administration has shown it's going to be strategic and tough with China. And and no, no one knows Xi Jinping better than Joe Biden does. He took the time to get to know him when they were both essentially vice presidents, although Biden was elected and Xi Jinping was more or less anointed. Uh, And so I do think they also understand to our last conversation, 
the Biden team understands the importance of getting China right, that it is an external threat. And by it, I mean the Chinese Communist Party, its policies, not Chinese Americans, not Chinese citizens, nothing like that. But, but the policies are a threat to our economic future, and they have to be managed correctly in order for us to make progress here at home. And that's going to take a conversation with our allies as well, acting in concert when we can, which will be much more effective than going it alone. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the international coalition that Biden uh, wants to you know, use to deal with China and what that means, what he wants to keep in place from Trump and what he wants to change and get your take on that right after this. I'm Leslie Marshall. Scott Paul, president of the AAM, is our guest. We'll be back with him and with you. Don't go away. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. We are back. Leslie Marshall talking with the president of the AAM, Scott Paul. Let me give you that information again. I get uh, so carried away with Scott, I get pushed up against the break. Go to their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. You can not only learn about the AAM, learn more about a manufa- about American manufacturing, and you're getting facts. You're not getting a, you know, a political-leaning bias. They're a non-political organization. And in addition to that, a lot of great tips for American companies, products that are made in America, support those companies and find out who they are. Check out AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, follow them at Keep It Made in USA and follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about the president, although it took a few weeks, um, speaking uh, on the phone with uh, President uh, Xi Jinping uh, from China. And, you know, so much to talk about, like I said. Before the break, I said I was going to ask you about Biden trying to build an international coalition to deal with China. What he says or what the administration is saying is that he wants to keep the Trump era tariffs in place until there's an internal review uh, that, that is you know, conducted and completed. Um, he warned loudly of China, quote, eating our lunch when it comes to infrastructure. And that signals another big priority in the Biden administration. And he also launched a Pentagon task force on China and the Indo-Pacific division of the National Security Council is the biggest and stocked with uh, China hawks. The entire NSC will be working on China uh, in some capacity. So this international coalition to deal with China, thumbs up, thumbs down in your area of manufacturing, which is a big piece of this. What do you think of his plan? It's a good question, and we'll 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 see as it's implemented. Um, I think it is the right approach to work with our allies when we can on China, because I think that we're stronger when we work together. Um, and as as you point out, a lot of these challenges, you need a global solution. Climate, you need a global solution. Um, for, for example. Um, so, but there are other areas where the United States has traditionally uh, been at the forefront, and and either it's by choice or by necessity. A, a good example of that is a response to the Communist Party's treatment of Uyghurs, who are Muslim people in the western part of China, 
And the Trump administration had declared that to be a genocide. Um, it was the first country or first government you know, globally to do that. Uh, the Biden administration said, said it agreed um, th that it was, in fact, a, a genocide. Um, you know, the European countries aren't there yet. You know, the, and so I, I think that Biden's going to have to bring them along. And there's a little more fear, I think, among some of the European countries about their exposure to uh, China economically. Uh, and also this sense that I think that, you know, they obviously were ground zero of the, the Cold War, you know, fought back and forth between the Soviet Union and the United States. And, and I don't know that many of them are looking forward to any sort of a repeat. And so I think there's a, a little bit of fear there. Uh, but I think it's in all of our interests to, uh, I think, be realistic about China. Um, and again, I want to emphasize, this is in no way a critique of the Chinese people, of mm -hmm. Asian Americans, yeah. um, but the Chinese Communist Party, uh, and Xi Jinping in particular, are enacting a series of policies that are anti-democratic, uh, that are brutal, um, that are economically devastating to the United States, that rely on stolen technology, um, and we can't abide that, and we shouldn't. And you know, past administrations thought it more convenient to pass the buck um, to, to the next one, and and that's what happened. And Trump did take action, right? but it was just kind of like a you know wildly throwing his arms up and seeing what would happen, and the twenty five percent tariffs, um, and then making a, a China deal that was really half baked. Um, and not speaking out about Hong Kong or the Uyghurs, but getting upset about other things. And it was very, it was, it was very uh, discordant. Uh, and so my hope as the Biden administration is formulating its policy is obviously that it is much more coherent, that is much more strategic, that it's results oriented, and that it engages our allies where appropriate. And it's accompanied, and I think this is important, and, and this is what we've been talking about all along, by major investments in our own economy so that we become less dependent on cheap stuff from China um, and that we become more self-reliant where it makes sense to supply our own critical goods. Now, that doesn't mean we need a fortress America uh, around our country, uh, but we, we obviously have a problem if we can't make enough semiconductors here, or if we're making a paucity of electric batteries here, or if we only have one steel mill that makes the kind of steel that goes into our electrical grid. You know, we, we, we need to up our game here, and I think Biden understands that. And so I think those two pieces together uh, will make us uh, safer from a national security perspective and also more resilient from a homeland security perspective, and, and, and whether it's responding to uh, cyber threats or uh, climate change uh, and, and all, all of, the, all of the, the disasters that unfold from that, um, and, and that we'll be building a better future for workers in this country as well, and not just following a policy where multinational companies can ship our jobs overseas with little or no consequences. You know, there's always a danger when you have any kind of industrial policy that it'll just dissolve, uh, devolve into a lobbying competition. 
Um, is there fear of that as well? Because it can happen, obviously, in any administration, Democrat or Republican. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a it's a valid concern, and, and we've seen it play out already because we have kind of an industrial policy for our oil and gas industry, and it doesn't you know it doesn't beget competition. Um, it it boosted their profits, um, and it made the conversion to other more diverse and renewable forms of energy uh, slower and less effective than it should have been, for example. Um, and, you know, there have been cases, obviously, we have an industrial policy for our aerospace industry. You know, our Department of Defense buys a massive amount from that industry, um, and it can lead to price gouging and to, you know, just the, the sense of security that they have instead of being more competitive. And so as we approach an industrial policy, it has to be one, first of all, that puts workers first, not, not corporate pro profits first, and that is going to benefit us in the future broadly as a society. And so having a, a manufacturing base um, that's capable of making those electric vehicles and electric charging infrastructure in the United States, I think is broadly benefiting to American citizens. So it's not about picking winners like GM, you win this or Ford, you win that. Um, I think there has to be competition for, for, for all of that. Um, but we do need to have skin in the game uh, and we need to be smart about it. And we need to make sure that these companies that are receiving you know, public resources in the form of innovation or workforce training aren't shipping jobs overseas, aren't mm. just pocketing the profits and delivering them to shareholders at the expense of their workers and not giving them raises or benefits. Uh, and so I think, I think the Biden team understands that. And that will set it, to, set it apart from past efforts to try to boost U.S. industry. You know, it would seem that China's figured out a way to enable the U.S. industrial sector to collapse from within uh, by attracting corporations with cheaper labor cost. Um, you know, what can be done? We've talked about this before. Um, you know, sh should there should there be monetary uh, punitive uh, measures uh, taken on corporations who continue to ship jobs overseas and continue uh, to build manufacturing plants in countries uh, like China, but also uh, India, Bangladesh, Mexico, and, and Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. You know, Trump's approach was was not to deal with the tax side, but only to tear, you know, put some tariffs on some imports. And I think there is a role for that. But believe me, I do, especially when. These, these products are coming in and they're built with stolen electoral property or they're dumped into our country or they're heavily subsidized by their governments. Absolutely. We, we should apply tariffs. But we also need a tax policy that holds these multinational companies accountable for their actions because they get a lot of money from state and local governments as well as from the federal governments for, to trade their workforces, to locate in the United States. And then if they take those profits or they take those jobs overseas, there needs to be penalties for that. And we need to incentivize them to do the right thing and bring jobs home when it makes sense to do that. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about COVID relief, 
This is an area where you don't have 100% support within even the Democratic Party who have power, uh, you know, in the House and obviously in the Senate with uh, Kamala Harris, the Vice President Democrat, as tiebreaker, and President Joe Biden being a Democrat as well. Scott Paul's our guest. We'll return with him, President of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. Please, like I said, check out their website. You'll learn a lot of great things. I have very valuable information, AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, follow them, the AAM, at Keep It Made in USA, and follow Scott at Scott Paul, AAM. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll be back with Scott. We'll be back with you after this quick break. Don't go away. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We are back. I'm sad it's the last segment of the hour with Scott, but many of us will get to our weekend then. Some have a long work day ahead. Scott is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. Like I said, check out their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Follow them on Twitter. The AAM can be found at Keep It Made in USA. And follow Scott as well at Scott Paul AAM. Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. I want to get to, if I can, a couple of uh, uh, topics here. We haven't touched upon you know, everything. Um, But let's touch upon COVID relief, and there are divisions over this within uh, the Democratic Party. This is a massive uh, economic plan, $1.9 trillion in this coronavirus relief bill. Um, Talk to me about this with regard to to, to manufacturing and also with regard to the $15 uh, minimum wage, uh, because that's something I touched upon, but we didn't really get to talk about uh, earlier. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I come from the camp that believes that we need to um, try anything that has a reasonable chance of working to right. stimulate economic growth and to make families more economically secure. And, you know, the, the reason why I say that is that that's what Franklin Delano Roosevelt did during the New Deal. He wasn't a particularly economically progressive guy going in um, to, to this Uh but he, he basically said, you know, any idea, I, I'm willing to try to, to get us out of this mess. And so I, I really do think that that's kind of the, the spirit that we need to adopt here. And, and, and it's time to go big. And we're still in very much the relief phase of all of this. There are millions of Americans who are suffering either because they've lost their job or because of their, their circumstances um, at home, or, or there, there are many other factors here. And we need to do everything that we can to make them economically secure until we can get to the other side of this. And, and even then, it's going to be a new and disrupted economy. It's not going to look like the old one did. So, so I think that's number one. On, on the minimum wage, you, you know, that plays a role in this too. And, you know, it, it will help manufacturing. First of all, manufacturing wages are, you know, on average, you know, in in the 20 some dollar an hour range. And for union manufacturing, it's well above that as well with benefits. And so, so, so minimum wage isn't a competitive issue, competitiveness issue for manufacturing that a lot of other businesses might throw out there. But, but here's what it, it, it does. It takes people who are working hard every day from poverty wages to wages where they can buy 
the American dream for their family. And whether that means a washing machine or an automobile to give them more mobility and transportation options or where, whatever it is, but that stimulates demand in the rest of the economy, including manufacturing. And so I firmly believe that raising the minimum wage is going to increase the amount of money that's circulated in the economy. And that's going to have dividends for all of us, whether we're taxpayers, consumers, workers, producers. Um, and, and, and so I hope that that's part of it as well. And the relief part is important because that gets us through, you know, whatever the next six to nine months. Uh, beyond that, and, and this is, and we've been talking about infrastructure, this is the recovery part. This is where right. we are reimagining our economy and we're trying to remake it so that we're resilient in the future uh, and that we've learned from this and we come out of it stronger. Uh, and I think that's also very important because we are right now playing catch up. We are way behind. We've yep. managed this uh, particularly uh, ineptly. And by we, I guess I mean the Trump administration did. Uh, and so we have a big hole to dig out of here. And it's going to take that type of reimagine, reimagining on the other side to make sure that we're not going to lose further ground. Because over the last couple of years, our, you know, our, our trade deficit exploded. We lost a lot of good paying jobs. We're, we're, in, we're, we're in worse shape relative to the rest of the world than we were when we started this. And so um, just from, a, from an economic competitiveness, from, a, from that point of view, uh, we, we really need a new set of policies that's going to drive us forward and where the benefits are going to accrue to workers rather than shareholders who are doing very, very well <laughs> right now. Uh, but, but everybody else in the working economy uh, is struggling and, and, and needs a boost. Absolutely. I want to talk about let's build a made in America future and uh, how people can uh, take action. Um, you know, we've talked about how it's beyond time that we rebuild our infrastructure, which crumbling is an understatement uh, with the ratings that we continue to get year after year. How it's necessary to invest in clean energy. Like you said, we are behind the rest of the world. Uh, we've talked about the years of neglect that have left the bridges in this country, the water systems, the electrical grid, roads, uh, railways, airports, schools, more, you know, in terrible shape. Um, so we have to get to work on rebuilding this infrastructure. Obviously, COVID is a priority in this administration. Um, there are signals that there are going to be some big legislative pushes, you know, once we get COVID, you know, uh, under control, people are vaccinated. I don't think it'll ever fully be gone, but at least in our rearview mirror, that uh, infrastructure will be a, a big chunk of the next uh, legislation and economic package that the Biden administration puts forth. This is very important, the uh, manufacturing sector, because infrastructure could be a huge job creator and it could be a win politically, both for Democrats and Republicans. It, it sure could be. Um, it, it's the right thing to do. Uh, I think we've laid the, the case out here uh, over, over our conversation as to why it makes sense. And now Congress needs to make it a priority and the White House needs to make it a priority. Um, I like what I've heard so far from uh, Secretary Pete uh, Buttigieg uh, and from the White House uh, and from some of the leaders of Congress. Uh, but we know that this can stall. Uh, we we yeah. know that it can get, it can lose momentum um, and that it's not nearly as appealing to the national media who likes these fights, whether they're about immigration 
or you know other other things. But uh, we we want the Congress, we want the White House to stay on task, and so we've we've launched a campaign mm-hmm. to make sure that uh, our elected officials know that this is important to voters all across the country. Yeah, I want to talk about that because there's bipartisan support for Buy America, as there should be, right? Uh, there, uh, and this uh, bipartisan support isn't just among Americans, the voters, but among the politicians on Capitol Hill. It's overwhelmingly popular with the voters, their constituents, and and it goes, it, it transcends political, uh, you know, ideology and affiliation. You know, whether somebody's a Democrat, a Republican, uh, you know, a, a Trumper or a uh, Independent, um, so. Now is the time to get this job done, right? Um, so how do individuals out there tell the president or their elected official, you know, a member of Congress that represents their state, um, how, how, do, how does the person watching us and listening apply strong Buy America preferences? Um, because obviously if we do that and, and, and have those preferences added to any infrastructure and clean energy investment package, you know, it's a beyond a win-win. So speak to that and speak to what folks can do with the campaign the AAM has launched. Absolutely. It's important that our legislators at the White House hear from you, hear from uh, the American people about why this issue is so important and how it will build a better future for uh, ourselves in terms of jobs, in terms of our, our, our response to the climate crisis as well. Um, and make us more resilient in the face of disasters that we've seen, like in in Texas with the with the winter storm. Uh, and so, look, people can pick up the phone and call their member of Congress directly, or on our website, uh, we have we have a campaign that we're launching. You can go to AmericanManufacturing.org, uh, and it'll take you right there, uh, so that you can be in touch directly with your uh, legislators. Uh, and with the White House, let them know how you feel about this and why why it's important to you and your community. And the AAM, by the way, folks, just needs a few pieces of information to connect you with the White House and to connect you with your members of Congress. You can get involved by visiting AmericanManufacturing.org. Now, I've mentioned that website throughout the show, but this is something that isn't just looking at a shopping list or finding out more about manufacturing in the AAM. This is how you truly can get involved. Now, you might say, well, I vote. But you know what? Voting isn't always enough. Uh, you you got you to gotta go further and really let your voices be known with regard to specific legislation or programs. There is support, widespread support for Buy America on Capitol Hill. Uh, it's overwhelmingly popular with almost everybody watching us and listening to us. And uh, how do we get the job done? We need to apply strong Buy America preferences to any infrastructure and clean energy investment package. You want to get that word out to your elected officials. You want to get that word out to the president. So like I said, AAM just needs a few pieces of information. They can connect you with the White House and your members of Congress. And all you have to do to get involved is visit AmericanManufacturing.org. And this is what you do. Go to AmericanManufacturing.org. Click on the Take Action link. And it will have, it's right there on the homepage. Very simple. One, two punch. Go to AmericanManufacturing.org. Go to the Take Action link right there on the homepage. And AAM can connect you to the White House, connect you to your congressional leaders, your elected officials. Scott, thank you. I'm going to do this right after the show ends, which is in a few seconds. And I hope everybody else will follow suit. Thank Great you, job, Leslie. as always. Thank you for being with us today. Scott Paul, president of the AAM. Once again, AmericanManufacturing.org and click on that take action link on the homepage. Do it. Do it now. It's easy. I'm going to do it right after this. 
You heard you could save big when you bundle home and auto with Progressive, so you went online to check it out. But then you saw a link for a survey about which type of bread you are. And now you're on question 17, barely scratching the surface of your bread identity. You always thought of yourself as a brioche, but are you actually more of a pumpernickel? Ah, yes. They said it was easy to save money bundling with Progressive, but they forgot about the rest of the Internet. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Transform your dreams into your greatest achievement. Let an Oakland University graduate degree help you take charge of your future. Learn more at oakland.edu slash grad.